Well, hello and happy Tuesday, everybody. Heidi here with Josh, Connor over on the board. And let me just tell you what we've got coming up because we've got a pretty jam-packed show. Uh, up first, we're going to talk to some local celebrities, if you will. You might have seen them on the Today Show. I'm talking about uh, this St. Louis book club that had been together, this is crazy, for 50 years. So we'll find out the secret to their success. I know that there are specific rules. We'll get to some of those. We'll also find out what books they're recommending these days. Then at about uh, 3.50, we'll check in with Stephen Portnoy. Looks like President Biden has uh, addressed the country on this border bill, and he is not mincing words. Then in the four o'clock, this is a fascinating story. And I don't know about you, Josh, but I certainly said more than once in high school, maybe the beginning of college when I was in a math class, when am I ever going to use this? Well, that question has led a St. Louis educator to write his own textbook And it is combining a couple of things that aren't typically put together in a textbook. And we'll talk to him. He's going to join us in studio. And then at about 10 minutes before 5, we'll check in with Royal Oaks, ABC legal analyst. You have probably heard by now that Jennifer Crumbly, the mother of that uh, mass shooter, has been found guilty of manslaughter. We'll kind of get into the weeds a bit of what that looks like when it comes to a, you know, setting a precedent now and when uh, parents may be held responsible for specific things. In the 5 o'clock, we've got the top five at five. We've got some entertainment news, and uh, we'll check in with Martin Kilcoin. find out who he's got coming up tonight on the Kilcoin conversation. I also saw some uh, interesting news that the Blues are heading uh, – to Chicago for what's that winter classic? The winter classic. Yeah. And this is, is it in Wrigley. Yeah. You know, I always think it's cool when they. I don't even know if they do it anymore because it's just not big enough. But when they would do football games. Oh. You know, like the Pinstripe Bowl or whatever, mm-hmm. and they'd have it at Wrigley. But having a hockey game up there, that sounds really cool. And yeah. and I think, just a train right away. It really is. Well, it'd be fun. It'll be fun. We were talking about something interesting in the office, and I was going to save it for later in the week, but it's just top of mind, so I thought I'd uh, get your guys' thoughts. The boss was in the office, and we just kind of started going down memory lane because he said that he is flipping through the channels, and Andy Griffith came on. And don't you just, I mean, as soon as you hear the whistle, you know, right? And... Yes, black and white, but also just wholesome. And so we started talking about some of our favorite TV characters. And I know you guys have an opinion on this one. I mean, I'm obviously a child of the 80s, so I immediately think of Facts of Life. And wait, but wait. It's an ensemble show. It is. Who was your favorite? Joe Polnicek. Oh, God, Heidi. So yeah. predictable. It is predictable. <laughs> but, you know... You, she had her motorcycle. She was cool. Did you, did you identify cool. with Joe? Well, yeah, she was. She was super cool. You know, she was. Well, she was super something. Well, 
I thought you were going to say Mrs. Garrett. Oh, Mrs. Garrett <laughs> was fantastic. Uh, but so many great shows with you think about it. Like Arnold from Different Strokes. How fun was uh, he? You know, you had said something. Hey, let's talk about favorite TV characters. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking in my childhood and Arnold was the first popped name up. that popped up. Now... The boss was talking about Andy Griffith, and he said, favorite TV characters. And I was thinking to myself, who's he going to say? Is he going to say Andy? No. Barney? Mm. Probably. (laughs) Gomer? Is he going to say Gomer Pyle? Otis? (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think we got an answer. Maybe he'll text us. But uh, was it Barney, boss? Because he was the best. He was the best. And I mentioned this, too. I always loved Hazel. I think I've mentioned that, you know, that's before your time. And that's, before my time yeah. as well, but it was reruns. You could still see it on like 2.2 2 or whatever. Hazel's the maid. She had uh, Mr. B was the boss. She always seems to get into a little trouble, but at the end of the day, she works it all out and it's fun. You got My Three Sons was so good. I remember uh, when it, from that era, Nick at Night would start at 7 p.m. You know, I'd watch... Doug and uh, Mary Melodies, and then at 7, they would play the black and white shows. Yeah. So I've caught my fair share of Mr. Ed, mm-hmm. you know, Dream of Genie and Bewitched and, and all that stuff. Bewitched. I'm, I somehow must have avoided Hazel. Yeah. Well, you can years. still find her in certain mornings. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have it. It's somebody from the 314. Uh, Justin Kitt from Knight Rider. Nah, wait, wait. Well, was Kit how- a character? Yes, Kit was a character. Kit talked. He sure he did. Yeah, he was the. He wasn't even that sassy. He was very dry. Uh, very. But you know, I don't know, Michael. Oh, somebody <laughs> said Speed Racer. I did love Speed Racer too. Um, I'm so. I'm trying to think of historically the best characters, but let me just go to my favorite sitcom of all time, mm-hmm. Seinfeld. Oh. And isn't it true that the namesake of the show, the Andy Griffith show, but the best character was Barney? Seinfeld, the best character is, I know you think I'm going to say Kramer, but George is the best character on that oh, show. Oh, probably has. It'd be interesting to go back and see who has the most storylines. Oh, yeah. Front and center. Somebody said they grew up in the late 60s. I lived on reruns of Leave it to Beaver and I Love Lucy. Somebody else asking. Marianne or Ginger, and then Floyd the Barber as as someone's favorite. When you go, let's go Brady Bunch. I mean, you have so many characters to choose from. Who's the youngest boy? Bobby. Bobby. Bobby was my favorite. He was? Yeah, he was, he, he was like the youngest, which is me. Mm-hmm. So there really are no rules, and he could say whatever he wanted and do whatever he wanted. Yeah. You know? I'll tell you, I watched a lot of Ada's Enough, too. I haven't seen it in ages. Which but one is that? Had is Adam that Rich. No, Adam Rich was the little boy, and he had the bowl cut. Didn't he just pass away? Not. I don't think it was just pass away. Mm. Somebody else said F Troop. Um, so many, and I'm wondering then, what do you watch on network TV today? Forget all the streaming services, but just the good old. I mean. I hate to say it, the Cosby Show. Oh, best show, and you hate to say it, but it really is good. Yeah. And Bill Cosby is the best part of that show. 
you know, he Rudy was fun. Was a genius. Theo had his moments. Of course, I love uh, Golden Girls, and even watched a couple episodes last yeah. night. And then, uh, as I was flipping through, landed on Designing Women and uh, Julia Sugarbaker, another great one. More ensemble shows. Mm-hmm. Was there a leader in that one? With the Golden Girls, was there a main character in Designing Women? Uh, in my opinion. Julia Sugarbaker, Dixie Carter, had the most monologues. Like, you knew her because there was always going to be one, kind of like the night the lights went out. And <laughs> I mean, you know, that was so – but I pretty much an ensemble. I mean, you have Delta Burke, you had Gene Smart, you had Annie Potts, Cheers, Taxi, Married with Children. Of course, somebody else saying M.A.S.H., and somebody saying that Wednesday nights they love Chicago Med, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD. Oh, currently. Yeah. Currently. I told you the other day I, I need to watch Abbott Elementary. Yeah. Everybody has said enough about it. I just got to pull the trigger. It's it's a fun Start one. Start watching Love it. American Style was a fun show. Mary Tyler Moore. Monsters of the Adams Family. Yeah, so many. Dick Van Dyke has uh, to be one of the best all-time shows. You guys keep the uh, text going. Guys, it's Susan going down memory lane. Uh, these are all great programs. How about Dennis the Menace? Oh, hey, Mr. Wilson. Yeah. Somebody else saying definitely Dixie Carter as far as. Was uh, was the, the leader. Yeah. Now, Dennis the Menace, in retrospect, as a parent and as adults, he was a bad kid. Right? Yeah. <laughs> So was Eddie Haskell oh. on Leave It to Beaver. And you still call people Eddie Haskell mm-hmm. to this day. Which tells you just how rich yeah. that character was and to stick with us. Matlock in the Heat of Night. Uh, Delta Burke was the ex facto star of Designing Women. She was the only one to get an Emmy nod, and Dixie Carter didn't like her, Uh-oh. according to somebody from the 314. But you know what's cool about Designing Women it was written by a woman from Popper Bluff, Missouri. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Linda Bloodworth uh, Thomas, which I, is really cool. I guess I didn't realize it. Delta, Dixie. Well, these are their real names. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That, these aren't even the, the characters. Right. They should have stuck with their real names. Delta yeah. Sugar Baker. Third Rock from the Sun. Bewitched. Dinosaurs. Oh, Barney Miller. I never really watched Barney Miller. I didn't either. Uh, you know what character I liked in everything I saw him in? And gosh darn it, his name is escaping me. But missed it by that much. You know, the guy on Dragnet. Was it Dragnet? Um, and I think he was on a, a show where he ran a supermarket in the 70s. Oh, I'm seeing Whatever that right guy's now. name is. Is it small? No. Um, the text line will know. Yes, they definitely will know. Chips, MacGyver, Fall Guy, Welcome Back, Carter. There really were some great it's funny. shows. Fall Guy, In the Heat of the Night, Matlock. This is all things that I watched on Channel 11. In, Reruns. In the fourth grade. Yeah. Summertime in the fourth grade was Get awesome. Get Smart, yeah. Get Smart. That's the mm-hmm. guy I'm thinking of. But what's his what's name? What's his name? Bosom Buddies, Hunter, Soap, Billy Crystal, you know? Um, Don Adams. Don Adams. Thank you, Woods Basement Systems. Text yeah, line. Sally Fields and Gidget and the Fly Nun. Night Court. Don't forget Cheers. Who was your favorite character on Cheers? 
Look at everybody saying Don Adams. I love that. What was the show that he was in where he ran the supermarket? I don't know. It was in the 70s. Um, And then uh, Martin's going to join us later. I asked him a question last week about Bob Euchre. Mm -hmm. Does Bob Euchre still do Brewers games? Does he travel? Does he just do the home games? He does do games occasionally. Mm -hmm. I don't know how often. Uh, But he was in Mr. Belvedere. Which was a great show yeah. in the 80s. You know, talk about a, a rock block with Small Wonder and Mr. Belvedere. Uh, Six million dollar man. You had Wonder Woman. Charlie's Angels. Oh, yeah. Which I was mean, your favorite oh, angel? Oh, Jacqueline Smith. I really? loved Kelly. Wow. Yes. I thought you were going to say Farrah. Mm-mm. Actually, I knew you were going to say Jacqueline Smith because you brought her up several times. Yeah. I mean, Farrah <laughs> obviously was fantastic and... Sabrina Duncan, that probably would have been the more likely choice for me, but I loved Kelly Garrett. Someone said Belky from Meepos. That was uh, Perfect Strangers. Oh, yeah. Right? Cousin Larry. An interesting show. <laughs> then you got Friends. If you had to pick one Friends character, who's going to be your favorite? Chandler. Chandler Bean. Hands down. No Just question. because of the one-liners? Yes. I, I mean... No surprise here, but I related to Chandler within the first five seasons of that show. Yeah. That's and interesting, too, because you like have your characters that you like, and then you have the characters that you relate to. I am probably a little more similar to Monica and the way she's so... Oh, my gosh. I 100% agree with you. Uh-huh. <laughs> she was the neat freak. Yes. She probably had some OCD going probably. on. Mm-hmm. Lassie, Joey. Somebody says, was as their far favorite as friend? friend? Yeah. Huh. I wonder if anyone Did ever says see? Ross. Ross and Rachel are in a Uber <laughs> Eats commercial. Super Bowl commercial? Yeah. They, that Uber Eats commercial is just layered with crazy celebrities. It's the same one that uh, Victoria and David Beckham are in. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Usher is in it. I saw the Victoria and David Beckham one. It might have been a Super Bowl preview. Yes, I think it was because they showed more of it Okay. this morning on the Today Show. I'm trying to think. There's a, It's the one that Jelly Rolls in. The concept is kind of like you have to make room for things to remember. And when you make room for things to remember, you forget something else. Well, they were – the Beckhams were talking about Jessica. Oh, that Jessica Aniston, uh-huh. you know, and I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, it's a funny commercial, but she would have been my favorite female friend. Yeah. With Monica a close second. And no offense to Phoebe, but just couldn't relate. Yeah. Uh, Mama's family. Family oh. ties. Oh, family ties is a good one. And the premise. I guess I never realized it at the time. Two hippie parents. Yeah. And their oldest kid, Alex P. Keaton. Super is conservative. A Reagan conservative. Yeah. Who wears a necktie to school every day. High school. Definitely. <laughs> Room uh, 222, Empty Nest was a good one. Somebody else said Dobie Gillis. I did watch that a lot, which is crazy. Um, yeah, Married with Children was so fun. Did you ever watch 227? Oh, I love 227. Well, the Jeffersons. Let's oh, go yeah. back to that because you got Marla Gibbs in 227, but the Jeffersons. What a great cast of characters. Uh, who was in? Who was the daughter in 227, and now she's everywhere? Um, Why am I drawing a blank on her name? So talented. Is it uh, Regina? King. King. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the episode that Bobby Brown showed up. Oh. Uh, in, on, at the stoop 
on 227. Mm-hmm. Spin City, Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, too many great shows, one day at a time. And then you think of how many Norman Lear had a hand in and how he, I want to say single-handedly, changed the face of oh, TV. yeah. Would Schneider make it today as a character on TV? I mean, I was watching The Office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, this was like mid-season, mid-series Office. There's a cute take on an Office uh, plot line that I saw today as well. It's a Super Bowl ad. Tell me about that in just a second. But the things that they said and covered on this episode of The Office, I was like, there's no way you could do that today. Yeah. I can't believe they're even showing this in reruns on Comedy Central. Right now. Right now. So have have I changed? If because I would say probably. We've changed. We've that changed. We've all moved forward. Collectively we've changed. I think also you have to be able to see the joke in it. And sometimes, and this is just my personal take on the office, is they almost went so far to put it in your face. And the joke was almost on the people that didn't get the joke. Like kind of putting it just completely on its ear. Because I wasn't offended. Right. But I'm like, these days, could this... Pass B and be on network television. I think it would. It'd probably be only on Peacock anyway. If it was these days, they only say the good shows for the for the pay channels. Yeah, New Heart was a good one. I remember my mom and dad watching that all. Larry, Daryl, and Daryl. <laughs> I mean, too funny. Moonlighting, which I think is now in reruns. So funny with uh oh, how about Alice was good, but when Flo. On Alice, the show, Flo left. It kind of jumped the shark. That's true. I mean, she was a great character with that gum smacking. And wouldn't you like to go back? At least I would. Like, was that the way she formed that character with that gum smacking? Oh, funny. yeah. Did she say kiss my grits or was that all written into the character and she just brought it to life? Because I, I love learning those things. I was a betting man, which I'm not. I don't like to gamble, but I bet that. Kiss My Grits was written. The gum was hers. Yeah. That's my that's my guess. My two dads. Oh, good one. With uh, Kate and Allie. Did you ever watch that one? No, I didn't. It was a good one. Didn't, if you go to even dramas, you had sisters and... Uh, oh, sisters. Yeah. Just... Who was that, that red-headed actress on Sisters? Swoozie Kurtz. Yes. And mm-hmm. she played the lawyer in Liar Liar. Yep. Um, Meredith Baxter Bernie and Michael Gross apparently were born. Yes, the exact same day on June first, nineteen forty-seven. They both were. That's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. The A Team. I pity the fool. <laughs> I'm going to need you to try that again. I know. This is yeah. Good times. Murphy Brown, Nash Bridges. There's just so many uh, fantastic shows, but then the characters within the shows. Really, just get me every yeah. time. Yeah, I would. Ar- I would argue that the best characters are not the main characters. Yeah, I would too. They're, they're the the side. Well, people. I, I mean, think of the Jeffersons, and obviously George and Wheezy were great, but when Marla Gibbs entered the room at any point, she stole the show. Yeah.
Yep. Which is, you know, kind of fantastic. And then you have all the neighbors, too. All of the – every character seemed to be important. Cagney and Lacey, that was a, a great one. Malcolm in the Middle. I mean, we're talking mostly about sitcoms, but gosh, if you dig into dramas – you could just do this all day uh, long. Speaking of the Jeffersons, watching the Grammys, Lenny Kravitz was on, mm-hmm. and I was—I said to my wife, "Oh, I'm surprised he's wearing a shirt." And then I realized it was sheer, and yeah. you could see everything. Um, but just always, every time, amazed at how he oozes sex appeal. Uh, the coolest guy in the world, and his first name is Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they name one of those nerds on the Big yeah. Bang? Leonard. Leonard. Mm-hmm. You know? He didn't quite look like he should go, Lenny. He should go Kravitz. by Lenny. Maybe he would earn cool points immediately. Maybe. Somebody said Polly Holiday got the kiss my grits line from a real Southern waitress she knew. Wow. Which, Maybe she did write. Yeah, that's interesting. Write that in herself. Um, family Affair was great. Petticoat Junction. So many great. The Partridge Family. I guess I watched a lot of TV as a kid is what I'm realizing right now. you know, and everybody, oh, it rots your brain. No, it makes you a better person. Well, and I just think the storylines back then, we didn't even talk about who's the boss and your crush of the Uh, time. Mona. Mm Mm-hmm. But Hill Street Blues and Law and Order, L.A. Law, you know, designing women's kind of what started this whole thing. But it's 3.30. Yeah, I just I just want to clarify yeah. for Captain Paul Kopsky, who's waiting in the wings. Uh, Heidi said my crush on Who's the Boss. Well, when I was eight years old, it was not on Alyssa Milano. Mm-hmm. It wasn't on Judith Light. No. It was on Mona, the yeah, grandma. Of course. I had a big crush so- on Mona. We're starting with a couple of local celebrities, not household names, at least not yet, but women who were recently featured on the Today Show. Teresa Wetzel and Julie King, welcome to our show. Hi, Heidi. This is so cool. I mean, you caught the Today Show's attention because of your book club, but not just any book club. It's one that truly stands the test of time. When did you start this book club? Uh, it started. It started in 1973 or four. We're not sure. We're basing it on the the first book, which was Merle Miller's plain speaking about Harry Truman, and we were outside on my by my front steps, and we all had little kids, and I didn't want to talk about little kids, even <laughs> though I love my little kids, and I wanted to. You wanted talk, a break. I wanted a break, and I wanted to talk to adults, and I didn't want to be interrupted. And all that good stuff. And so you started a book club, and you guys have met monthly for 50 years? We do take the summer off. We don't meet in July and August, and then generally in December we have a party business meeting, not a book discussion. So that's the way we go. You guys take this pretty seriously. There are rules. Yes, ma'am. And I want you to run through a couple of the rules. Well, a couple – well, okay. Basically, you can come if you haven't read the book. For book club, if somebody hasn't read the book, then they go off on a tangent and they're asking somebody, what was this about and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it works better. If you, you haven't read the book, you can come, but don't talk. Don't oh. interrupt. <laughs> Number two, we start off with a little wine and whatever, mm-hmm. and then we 
do our discussion. And then after the discussion, if you want to talk about your kids, you want to talk about your mother-in-law, you want to talk about your husband, that's social hour and that's dessert and coffee. And you can also elect to leave before that if you got to go to work early the next day or whatever. So those are some basic attendance kind of rules. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the banana rule that Julie can address. Yes. And, Julie, is it your fault that we have a banana? No, but um, I suppose it would be good to have it here today, perhaps, so I wouldn't talk over Tressa. (laughs) (laughs) The banana rule being that uh, you are having an issue. And how many uh, women are in the book club? I mean, you get... 15 of us. Yeah. And... Oftentimes, it's it's not always all, or 15. Uh, I think from my perspective, the best discussions are about 9 or 10 because it gets it's, you still have to pull it together a little bit more with a lot of Manageable. people. But you get 9, 10, 15 people all in a room wanting to talk about something, sometimes controversial, and you found that you were talking over each other and nobody could hear anything or get a word in edgewise. The banana rule came in. We, went, we were at Sue Giles' house, giving her all the credit. And she said, wait, 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 we can't do this. We can't do this. And she ran to her refrigerator and she pulled a banana out of the refrigerator and she said she handed it to whoever was speaking and say, okay, she's speaking. She holds the banana. We pass the banana. And that's how it started. And we used the real banana until it got pretty awful. (laughs) It was brown and mushy. I think that was just once we used the real banana. banana. (laughs) Then we went plastic. And then we lost the banana for a while. And then we came back to the banana. I it, love it. Yeah, it's it's like uh, Lord of the Flies. If you if you don't have the conch, <laughs> you're not allowed to talk. Exactly. If you don't have the banana, exactly. Keep your mouth shut. Exactly. <laughs> How many books do you think you've read as a club over the last fifty years? We figured somewhere around at least four hundred to four fifty, perhaps. And who decides what book you're going to read each the, month? The one who is going to host book club. And we do it alphabetically by last name. So you kind of have a sense of when you're coming up. If for some reason that month isn't available for you or a good time, you might talk to some, or ask somebody else to fill in for you. But the one who is hosting book club chooses the book. Has there ever been a book club where you all just sit around and said, this was the worst book ever? Who picked this? I did. Whoa. What and was they're it? still telling me 25 years later. And I keep, every once in a while, we have another book, and I think, I think somebody else percolated to the top. And they say, nope, nope, nope not yet. What What was the book? The Sparrow. By Mary, By Mary Doria, Doria Russell. Russell. And what was so offensive about it? It wasn't offensive, but it was kind of science fiction, which I didn't know it was going to be. And for some reason, I really liked it. And I want to go back and reread it to figure out why I really liked this book 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting. Somebody on our text line, the women of Northmore Drive are amazing. They are and always have been the backbone of Our Lady of Lords. Ask Miss King how many kids she has. I have four sons. Okay. And seven daughters. Whoa. Oh, I thought you were going to stop. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that's, why wow. I put, that's why I always answer the question the way I did. Uh-huh. That's why you always uh, are counting down the days for book club. <laughs> well, that was a good reason. I wanted an excuse to have to read a book because as much as I grew up loving to read, I got to a point where I didn't have time How to. How did you make time with? Twelve. 
That's 11. 11. Oh, 11? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not good at math. I, uh, I would hide out in my bedroom. I would sit on the far side, uh, out of sight of my children, but within hearing range of <laughs> them. You hide and seek and, and I, I would I would sit on the floor and I would read. Yeah. And it was a win-win for all of us because I got to read a book and they learned to take care of their own squabbles. Yeah. Uh-huh. A valuable lesson of self-sufficiency. Oh, when I mentioned that to a group of them this weekend, they kind of laughed and said, um... Really? <laughs> yeah. You think so? So the Post-Dispatch did an article on your book club, and then not too long after that, one of the producers from the Today Show calls. How fun was it to be on the Today Show? It was really fun, but it was a real shocker. It was truly a shocker. i got to give a lot of credit to uh, Norma Klingsick at the Post-Dispatch, who wrote a wonderful little article about us and came to our book club. And if she didn't live so far away, we would love to have had her join our book club. She was great. Um, and then out of the blue, I, I, my husband and I went to go to see Oppenheimer, came out of the theater after I saw the show. And on my email, there's a thing from the NBC Today show can you give me a call? And I thought, you got to be kidding me. And um, it was Nick Shinners at NBC. I looked him up because somebody said, do you think it's for real? And I, so I did look him up and uh, talked to him. And he said, I saw that the article and I wanted to pursue this. And he said, it's not my decision. I'm going to have to run it up the flagpole mm-hmm. at the Today Show and I'll get back with you. And things just started moving. Like all of a sudden I was talking to another producer and we were doing this. And then right before Christmas, he said, can we come in January? And I thought, oh, my God, quick January, because it's Christmas and we've all got families in and, and all of this. And, and whose house are we going to do this? Yeah, we, we were going to be at Joanne's. Uh-huh. There's an interesting little rub to this, too. And Joanne's had picked a book that my brother wrote about my parents' story, which is an awesome story, I've got to tell you. And so I told them this. I told NBC this. And I said, you're not going to believe this. This is very serendipitous, but it's true. And then they called me back an hour later and said, we can't do your brother's book because it looks like a conflict mm-hmm. of promotion. But your brother is a writer. Yes. Yes, he is. And uh, by trade for a living. And he wrote this book about your parents. Your parents met. Your father was a GI and your mother was in Poland. My father was a POW who escaped and met my mother who had a title and was in the Polish underground. And they knew each other for 11 days. This sounds. And they and got they, married? Yes. This sounds like a great book. <laughs> it, it was. And we're going to do it in April at my house. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But Which, we couldn't do it for. And what's the name of the book? Because we can talk about it here. Okay. We talked about it with Norma as well. It's called Bisha, which is my mother's name, and Aisham, which is my father's name, The Countess and the POW. Oh, how fantastic wow. is that? So it's a that? great book. I'm giving my brother a plug because he didn't get it on national news. But uh, <laughs> but it's it's a good book. It's a great story. We've always known it was a great story. So essentially they told me they couldn't do this. So then all of a sudden we were scrambling with NBC, and they kept asking us for pictures. They wanted pictures of when our children were little. And I kept saying to them, I, can't t- I don't have time to tear the house apart and find my pictures. And then finally they shamed me into doing finding a box of old pictures. Now, full disclosure, I lived on Northmore for three years, uh, and we had just moved out to Newtown, or we'd still probably be living there. Uh, and we were right catty corner to Lords. Yeah. So I am not a husband of anyone in the group, but could I join? I mean, I live on the street. No. Lived. No. 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 No men. Okay. No men. No men. No. Not at all. No. But if okay. you lived on Northmore at any point, who is allowed to join? 
Well, it's not hard and fast. It basically started on our block, the 7300 block, okay? It started on our block. I was on 72. Ah. Uh. Yeah, so maybe he would have been. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm way out Way now. out of it. No, but gradually, in fact, one time I went to some kind of a charity do, and I was there, and I looked at my watch, and I said, oh, I got, it's, I got to run to book club. And one of my friends said, what, where, what do you, what, 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 what's book club? And I said, we've been doing this for I don't know how long. And that turned out to be Deb. She said, can I join? Because she's somebody I've known for a long time. And I said, sure. So that's our scribe. Debbie Grelly is our scribe. And Debbie is the person that has compiled the 400 plus books. Oh, my goodness. So you, you ran, people sort of heard about us or we just gradually took people on. But it it says a lot about who we are. That we that everybody makes this a priority. That the that every month we get we do this. It's part of the fabric of who we are. And I I don't know how else to exp- how better to explain that. I get my new calendar for the year, and I immediately on the third Tuesday of each month I put down book club. And that's it. Nothing interferes with it. That's what you're going to do. Not no. if I can help it. Mm-hmm. You know, you do you miss some occasionally. I mean that's just human nature. You got you know, got conflicts. But we don't change the date. We don't that's another rule. We oh, don't can get yeah. there, can get oh, there yeah. and if you can't you can't. Because you've got to have a schedule. If you don't have a schedule, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. Now over the past fifty years, that's a long time. Yes. So uh, I'm wondering, have people moved away in that time? Have people passed away in that time? You guys have had kids, and now you're probably all grandparents at this point. So tell me just personally, you know, what has it been like having this 50-year relationship with these women? Oh, that's, you know, that's a A gift. Yeah. It's a gift. That's one of the things the NBC guy did say to me. He, He was so amazed when he said, you know, life happens. And I said, Nick, life happened plenty. We did. We had all of those kinds of things happen. If anything, we just supported each other when those kinds of things happened. So this is true friendship, not just a book club. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And you learn a lot about your friends that you Mm -hmm. didn't know. And probably some things as you dig into different characters of books, maybe they have a different opinion than you ever thought they would. The best discussions are when we don't agree. If we could all learn a little from that. You guys are original members, yes? Yes. Yes. How many original members are still on Northmore and still coming to book club every Tuesday? Original. Um, there were four of us originally. The one person moved to Phoenix 35 years ago, and I'm still in touch with her, and she's watched us on the show, so I guess we maintain those relationships. There's three of us now that are still there of the original four. Mm-hmm. Um, Julie and I still live on Northmore. The other person does not, but she's close. Um, in fact, she had moved away for a number of years, was living out in California, and we really missed her. But then one of the advantages, if you can call it that, of COVID was that during COVID, she could join us on Zoom. Yeah. Uh, so she, and then has since moved back to St. Louis. Back in the book club. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Teresa, somebody says, please repeat the title of the book that you weren't allowed to do, your brother's book. They'd like to order it. Okay. It's called The Countess and the P-O-W, Bisha and Isham, B-I-S-I-A 
and Isham, I-S-H-A-M. And is that available on Amazon? And Barnes & Noble. And Barnes & Noble. Yes, yes. Well, ladies, uh, Teresa and Julie, thank you so much for coming in and sharing this lovely story about a book club that is as old as I am. So <laughs> Yeah, Heidi just turned 50. Yeah. So we heard she was a yeah. baby and we were, doing book, we were drinking wine and starting been, a book club. This has been delightful. Well, thank you, you so much. You guys have been much. wonderful. Thank you. And real quickly before you go, obviously we have that book. Is there one more book that you recommend to all of us to read now mm-hmm. oh my goodness julie do you do did you do the uh, do you do the classics you know you catch 22s you know what then, our next book is yeah. funny that you should mention that our next book is evangeline by henry wadsworth longfellow oh the, the po- talk, classic classic talk about switching yeah, yeah. yeah. talk about switching yeah. but that's part of the that's part of the fun it's Eclectic. Across the board. Totally across Unless the board. Unless you want to do science fiction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, ladies, thank you so much. Well, President Biden is not mincing words, telling Congress to show some spine and put America first on the border deal. Stephen Portnoy, ABC News national correspondent in Washington, joins us with the latest. I'm kind of happy he's stepping up and saying this. Well, look, um, it's an interesting thing that the the border deal appears to be dead. Uh, It's likely to be filibustered tomorrow. It, it won't have lived for 72 hours after the release of the text. And now President Biden says that he will use uh, the next several months to take the issue to the country and let everyone know that it was, in his words, Donald Trump and his MAGA friends who are responsible for a failure to secure the border, that this was a bipartisan deal that uh, would have uh, made it harder to uh, earn asylum rights here in the United States, that it would have ramped up deportations, it would have ramped up um, detentions at the border, and it would have allowed the president or required the president to shut things down uh, subject to a a minimum cap of asylum applicants per day um, if things got out of the Border Patrol's hands. And uh, now that's not going to happen. And there's a lingering question as to how the United States will be able to live up to its commitment, its stated commitment to stand with Ukraine in its fight against Russia, stand with Israel in its fight against Hamas. And at the moment, there's no vehicle. Uh, the Republican leader of the Senate today said it, he believes that now it's time to move on to essentially a clean foreign aid supplemental bill that is just money for Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan without any border provisions. It's kind of interesting because it was Republicans four months ago who said that there shouldn't be a dime more for Ukraine without a fix on the border. And now it's exactly what the Republican leader in the Senate says should happen. And I think it's uh, important to note who is that Republican leader in the Senate. His name is Mitch McConnell. Why is it Mitch McConnell, who believes that this is a better deal than Republicans could even uh, fashion themselves, why isn't Lindsey Graham coming out and telling uh, their counterparts in the House, "This we're mad, this is the deal, we need to take this? It's a really interesting question, and the answer, I think, is the fact that you have the man who would be the next presidential candidate for the Republican Party saying that Republicans would be stupid take up what he calls a death wish for the party. And it feeds into the argument that President Biden and top Democrats are making that they're all taking their orders from Donald Trump. Now, look, uh, there are principled reasons that Republicans have expressed on the House side for their opposition to this. They say that uh, it would codify, to a certain extent, catch and release, because 
the asylum seekers, after they've cleared an initial interview, would be allowed to, to live in the country. They wouldn't be detained. They're not detained now. Uh, the, uh, the argument is that it simply doesn't go far enough, that the, the House passed its, their H.R. 2 bill last year, and that reflects the Republican pr priorities and principles. And uh, unless they get that, they're not going to uh, take less. And they're not willing to compromise, it seems, on the House Republican side. And so uh, acknowledging that reality, Republicans in the Senate are essentially saying, and I'm putting words in their mouth, why should they stick their necks out? Because Donald Trump is going to call them stupid if they vote for something that's already dead on arrival in the House. But correct me if I'm wrong, even when Donald Trump was in the White House, he didn't get this done. Oh, you're right about that. And that's the argument Lindsey Graham has been making for a couple of months now, that th these talks, this framework is the best chance that Republicans will have to achieve their objectives here, to change some of these laws that have been on the books since the early 1950s that more recently have been either abused by uh, the, the, the migrants, the, um, the people who are taking them to the border, that's the, the coyotes and the cartels, abused by um, the, uh, you could argue, abused by the administrations that have presided over it. And Donald Trump, if he becomes president, Democrats will say, no, thanks, we're not interested in making a deal. But because Joe Biden is vulnerable on this issue now and Democrats know it, they were willing to make a deal. Well, that deal has been on the table, lasted 48 hours, and now it seems to be dead. Are, are there any things in this deal that Joe Biden can do with executive orders? Uh, well, the reason why you need legislation is to do what you can't by executive order. Mm -hmm. So, look, um, the argument has been that the 1952 Immigration and Nationality Act gives the power tremendous authority if he seeks to use it. And Donald Trump says he would. The problem with that argument is that when Donald Trump tried to use his you know, awesome power, the courts tried to stymie him. And uh, only in one instance, the uh, one instance I could think of, the travel ban early on, the Supreme Court sided with Donald Trump. And, and in theory, if he were to uh, move forward in that direction again, if he wants to and he gets elected, well, then maybe ultimately the Supreme Court will ultimately rule in his favor. But it'll, it'll take a long time. And in the meantime, potentially hundreds of thousands of people will continue to present themselves at the border. And until the law is changed, I expect that those people will continue to be allowed into the country, even if President Trump, should he be elected, says he won't allow it. All right, Stephen Portnoy, ABC News national correspondent. Thanks for walking us through that. Appreciate it. Oh, with yeah. the lion roaring and the MGM underneath it now, it says an Amazon company, which yeah. I, I forgot that they bought that. By the way, uh, no word on if Amazon is going to be airing the Friday night football game from Brazil. Oh, did you see that I announcement? Did see that Philadelphia Eagles are going to play in Sao Paulo, Brazil. To kick off the 2024 football season. Yeah, so, somebody else pointed out there's lots of great PBS Masterpiece series, lots of British TV. Freebie Channel is associated with Prime, so one more reason. I'll tell you what I am uh, excited about. You know, we always love to talk kind of home remodeling and the simple things you can do to change the look of your house. One of those, changing your front door. I mean, talk about... Bam! Changes everything, and I'm so, so excited. Dalco Home Remodeling is a new sponsor of our show here, so thank you to Dalco Home Remodeling. But Dalco doesn't just put that door in. Dalco Home Remodeling custom makes their doors and windows, and they do it right here in the Show Me State. And I'm not, you know, just talking front door. They do sliding doors, front doors, French doors, Name a door, and they can 
make it, but then they could also custom paint or stain it to match any decor that you already have on your house. Energy-saving vinyl replacement windows, they do that. And what's really cool is every project at Delco Home Remodeling is handled with care. They really want to make sure that you're happy, and I think sometimes that's rare these days when customer service isn't really a thing. Dalco Home Remodeling puts it front and center. I mean, if you ask me, it's one of the many reasons they're celebrating 50 years in business. And uh, you can learn more. Visit the website, uh, DalcoHomeRemodeling.com. You can also call 314-298-7300. You know their slogan has always been, if you buy somewhere else and find out how much you could have saved at Dalco, you'll blow your stack. And that remains the same. So make Dalco your first phone call so you don't blow your stack. 314-298-7300. Coming up, meet the local educator who has written a textbook, but not just any textbook. It is combining math and black history. Typically taught together, but one St. Louis educator has combined them in one textbook, specifically black history. Kendall Ware, author of Solving for Freedom, joins us to explain. We are so happy to have you here. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So from what I understand, this started out with a question you got repeatedly, and I'm not going to lie. It's one that I actually asked myself many times in math class. When will I ever use this? Yes. And see, that was the... Uh, going into this, when I was thinking about the idea and came up with it, that was one of the big points to me. And I said, you know, since students ask me that question all the time, how is there something that I can create where it can actually answer that question for them? So I'm thinking immediately, okay, a word problem, and you put in a fact. But this is more than a book of word problems. Yeah. So uh, initially, uh, as you all know, the textbook has become obsolete in schools. And so my idea was to bring it and to have a way where we can actually embed textbooks back into the classroom. And so I wanted to come up with not just a mad textbook, but something that's also in the history uh, department as well. So history, social studies teachers can use it and they can actually collaborate on things. But uh, it's not just a math textbook for people to say, you know, oh, well, I have to buy this textbook and or I'm going to use it. I'm just going to learn things about math. But it's something that you can have on your bookshelf and say, oh, well, if I want to know about something that happened in black history, I can pick it up and read some certain things. So cool. And you said we all know that textbooks are obsolete. I did not know that until I spoke to my (laughs) nephews who are in high school at this point, and I asked them, um, do they carry their books with them or do they go back to their locker? Number one, they said books, and number two, they said lockers. So it's a whole new ball game yes, as far as I'm concerned. A lot of it has gone, you know, uh, online. A lot of it is just uh, technology-based. And so I want, and I believe the best way to learn mathematics is to have something tangible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can see it, uh, and, and I played a lot of sports growing up, and I coached sports as well uh, in high school. And so the thing was, when we were going and waiting on games and things, instead of having something to go on your phone and look up, we would take out books and try to study and get ready for our homework or tests or quizzes that we had the next day. And math be 
being the one that almost requires you to bring scratch paper. Yes. To do to write these out. Yes, and that's a that's a big thing. I actually I, I teach at Harris Stowe, and yesterday uh, in my uh, one of my classes, I was talking to students, and so I teach undergraduate and graduate students how to uh, teach mathematics to middle schoolers. And so uh, what it came up was how should we have students actually do their homework? And I told them uh, we were all taught back in the day, you know, to do math on a piece of paper with a pencil mm-hmm. because you want to erase mistakes and things of that nature. But I actually teach, and I say have students do it in pen that way you as an educator can see where they made their mistake and you can go back and say oh okay this is where you made your mistake this is what you need to do but if a student has a pencil and paper and they're erasing things i have to take an extra step and ask them well what were you thinking how did you get to this next step why is it 2024 and this is the first time i'm hearing this and and see a a lot of math teachers i don't want to say that they don't know but because they do know they just don't uh, utilize this in the classroom and and i like to do that just so that, like I'm saying, I'm educating our future educators as well as, you know, uh, our students that are already in K through 12. And so I want them to know, hey, the best way to learn how to do things is to see your mistakes and see how you got from point A to point B. So fantastic. Has anything like this ever been done before where you're combining history and math in one textbook? Not in a textbook. And so I've done the research uh, and I've actually written out to, uh, to different textbook companies to see if they want to collaborate on some things. So um, um, really, um, textbooks have, you know, certain questions and they talk about certain aspects and certain things in their questions, but they do not actually combine like a specific black history or a certain topic into mathematics. And so uh, as you all know, you know, black history is something that is is a touchy subject and they don't know if they want to get it in Mm -hmm. schools or not. So my way of thinking was I want to get black history in schools. So why not embed it into a core subject matter? And what would you say as an educator? uh, I mean, math, uh, the beauty of math, if you want to call it that, is that it can't be misinterpreted. It is hard and fast. Math is always right. And and there's no interpretation around it. Yes. History, you know, history belongs to the victors, Um, you know, uh, when it comes to culture and and history and social studies, politics, I mean, it all depends on what lens you're looking through. So how do you work out math, which is hard and fast, and there is no deviation, from incorporating it with history, which you asked six different people to get six different answers. Yeah, so I like to pinpoint uh, specific things that we know are facts in history and say, okay, well, how was this used or how was someone thinking as they created this idea or uh, this event that might have happened? So, for instance, in my textbook, every chapter I actually dedicate to something specific in black history so that somebody will get something uh, out of it. So there are interests. So, for instance, one chapter is dedicated strictly towards uh, women in black history. Another is uh, politics in black history. Another is uh, black history and education. Another in my final chapter, uh, chapter nine, is about uh, all about black Black history in St. Louis. So I incorporate these type of things so that uh, especially the St. Louis one, if students or if educators want to actually have their students see something in the city they live, they can say, hey, you know, uh, the Dred Scott decision. We can go to Chapter 9 and you can actually see this. You can actually uh, go and do the research and say this is 
the city where you're from. This is where it all happens, and this is how we incorporate it into the algebraic concepts. We're talking to Kendall Ware, professor at Harris Stowe, author of, the, of Solving for Freedom. Can you give us an example of how you work these facts in to a specific yeah. math problem? Here's, here's a picture of Jose, Josephine Baker. Yes. And a whole bunch of algebraic equations. How does that work? Okay. Uh I don't know. Well, let me say one that I know off the top okay, of my head. Okay, yeah, that's so, fine. Can you give him his book back? Oh, no, so, yeah. so I have a chapter on sports and uh, sports and black history. And I think that's chapter two. And so one of them is talking about uh, the father of baseball, so uh, Negro League baseball. And so it's combining uh, the real world, I'm sorry, the uh, real number system and uh, the father of black baseball. So what I did was I actually said, if we pull back the layers of a baseball, how does each layer incorporate or talk about a specific real number system uh, when we're talking about algebra? So if we're talking about real numbers, we're talking about integers, we're talking about um, uh, irrational numbers, rational numbers, those things. So you have to pull back the layers and you can say, okay, all whole numbers, for instance, are contained in this baseball, but you don't have uh, integers that are whole numbers. So we, I use examples uh, that are shown that people might not think about just as a way to describe how it actually is. And so I'm actually currently working on a, a workbook to go along with this textbook because what I found in schools is that a lot of educators, uh, you know, when we were back in school, they would say things like, okay, after you finish this section, go to page 50 and do problems mm-hmm. 2 through 40 even. Oh, I just had – that just took me back to an <laughs> awful place, I think. Yes. I know, I know. And you can check your answers in the back of the book. Right. Uh, but before that, uh, so what I like to do is I like to put the responsibility on the teacher. So instead of me having end-of-the-unit problems at the end, I, I didn't put any problems at the end because I want the teacher to say, okay, this is exactly what I want. Because teachers today, they go online and they type in the specific problems that they want students to answer, and it generates worksheets for them. So my thing is, instead of just having a bunch of math jargon that students uh, or teachers might not have taught the students, they can say, okay, generate these specific problems and give them to them. But my workbook is actually going to go along with each section just in case a a teacher does not want to look up these questions, and you can say, okay, well, go to this page in the workbook, and this goes directly with what's in the I'm wondering then, when you're taking that test at the end of the chapter, are you going to answer a history question and do a math equation, or is it all combined into one? So so here's the thing now. So with the problems, because I was also, <laughs> a few years back, I also wrote for Princeton Review some questions and things. And what I found was that a lot of the questions were biased depending on where the student grew up. And so I didn't want to put word problems into the workbook because uh, suppose um, some individuals from either an urban area or from a rural area buys the, uh, buys the textbook, they might not see some of the things that are asked in the question. So I want to leave that up to the educator to say, I know my students, I know their background, I'm going to come up with these problems. But I am working, like I said, on the workbook that's going to have multiple variations of questions that's going to apply to the students from all backgrounds. And I know you're... Uh, textbook already at your alma mater, Luther North. And if people want uh, Solving for Freedom, it's sold through Amazon and other online retailers. And I know you'll also make a visit to schools and take the textbook to them. Definitely. uh, I'm actually in the process.
process of uh, doing professional developments in the spring, so I have some set up. Uh, I can get you all that information as well. Um, and with that, I've already talked with both Walmart and Target. They're just wait. It's been cleared, but they're waiting on some uh, some dimensional things so that it can be sold on their online stores as well. And uh, just uh, again to kind of bookend it, how does this work in our lives? Math. When we learned the multiplication tables in the third grade, that was pure, hard memorization. Yes. And there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But you've got a doctorate in, in higher education learning. You have a master's in teaching. Do people learn better when they can incorporate things into their own life while they're learning something tough like math. Yes. And not only that, so my dissertation actually spoke to uh, how do you get students to understand mathematics better? And so what it found was that it wasn't necessarily about teaching the concept, but it was more towards relationship building. So if a student has a a better relationship with their teacher, well, let me say it's a different way. If a student likes their teacher, Mm -hmm. they tend to do better in that class. I would agree with that. Yeah. So I'm trying to give something where uh, students can find something interesting in the textbook that might ultimately make the students say, oh, well, I didn't know my teacher knew about this. This is a, a different fact that I didn't know about them. I'm going to take more of a liking to them, and I'm going to, in essence, do better in the class. So fascinating. Kendall Ware, author of Solving for Freedom, which you can find at Amazon and other online retailers. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story with us. Best of luck on the book sales. Oh, thank you for having me. It was good meeting you both. Well, since uh, you often make fun of my twang and teasing me from well, being in the South. Not anymore. I uh, <laughs> saw some phrases that you may not know unless you're from the South. And I was looking through these and I'm like, mm, yep, check. Heard that one. So I was going to run them past you and you tell me. If you've ever said it or heard someone else say it. Okay. Okay. Is it uh, hotter than a hot house? That's not in here. Which is uh, colder than a witch's? Hissy fit. Hissy fit is uh-huh. southern? Yeah. That's a southern thing? Yeah. I mean, if I've you, said that. Okay. Hissy fit. So maybe, all right. Uh, a rooster one day and a feather duster the next. Ooh, I like that. Who would say that? Well, it's about, like, don't brag about your fortune because it could all be gone yeah. before you know it. Kind oh, of yeah. Don't count your yeah, you know, chickens. chickens before they hatch. Is that Southern, too? Mm-hmm. Because uh, the feather duster, now you're you're working as the maid. Yeah, well. Because you're down on your luck. Not necessarily. You were the rooster, and now oh, you're oh, now no you're longer. The, and now you're I'm the feather duster. The feather duster, oh, yes. Uh, I'll tell you what. Oh, that's Southern? Mm-hmm. Well, oh, you didn't say it right. You were supposed to say, I tell you what. Now, this is where we go, <laughs> and we're going to cross. I'm talking about phrases, not the twang. Okay. Right. Give me some sugar. Did your grandparents oh. ever say that? Get over here and give me some sugar. No. I, who it would, means give me a kiss. Oh, I know that. Okay. But I just, I, <laughs> that no. seems like kind of a sleazy thing. Give me some sugar. Give daddy a little sugar. Well, if you say it that way, here's where you turn everything into something dirty. Um, plum. I'm plum tuckered out. My neighbor this? is plum crazy. 
A plum. Uh, that's a plum job. Yeah. I don't think that's the same usage. Though. No, I don't either. A hill of beans. It ain't worth a hill of beans. Yeah, yeah. You got that one? Didn't uh, wasn't that Casablanca? I don't know. I don't know. If a man is a hill of beans in this town. I said this one a lot, at least uh, growing up. Let me let you go. A polite way to tell someone you're hanging up on the phone. All right, well, then I'll I'll let you go. Hmm. Is that? That's, I've that's heard that one. Okay. Yeah. And you haven't heard these other ones? No, I mean, some of them I've heard. Fixin' yeah. too. You're I, not. I've heard it, but I've never, yeah. I've never used it. it. With the fixing, yeah, fixing with an I N and apostrophe. You know, you know what? Okay, you can't get mad at me. I think what you need to do is you need to blame Jeff Foxworthy for introducing his cartoonish caricature of mm-hmm. Southern living and Southern draws and all that stuff. Um, I. I don't think that's an act. I think that's really the way that's he really talks. That's really the way he is? Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking of Larry the Cable Guy, right? Well, that, that guy, guy too. A, yeah, the whole that's tour. Act, right? yeah. Ron White is is fairly normal. Uh, well, you can't say they're not normal. Here's where you step in <laughs> it. Oh, you think Larry the Cable Guy? is a character. He's <laughs> a real person. I think he is a character. You know, what is his real name? Does anyone know it, Larry? Yes. Is it not Larry? No. It can't be. Mm-mm. Uh... You know, and everything he did has made her. I mean, Finn watches cars every day. Right. Here's something else I wanted to ask you as a uh, dad, and I know you don't often. Huh, oh, I, wait, wait. Daniel what? Lawrence Whitney. So that's Larry. Lawrence is Larry, right? Sure, but Daniel Lawrence Whitney sounds like someone from a really you fancy, know, fancy <laughs> university. Yeah. Well, just because he's a comedian does not mean he That's didn't true. go to a fancy right. university. When he wakes up every day, does he put the cutoff shirts on? I don't think so. Or is that just he for went the to uh, He went to Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to talk to McGraw about it. Yeah, maybe he yeah. knows him. Yeah. So I know that you are uh, lucky to have family nearby, so you don't often pay for a babysitter. Have you ever paid for a babysitter for um, Finn? One time. Yeah. And he was sick, and we both had to go to work. And so there was a lady in the neighborhood, and she watched him for like five hours, and we paid her 100 bucks. And I will say, thankfully, my sister hasn't had to have too many. Now the kids are grown, but either myself or my mom and dad were here. It was, you know. You never charged your sister? Oh, good Lord. No. <laughs> I love Surprised I didn't. Uh, you say, can I at least get a pizza out of no, it? No, I wanted to spend time with those kids. But I remember being a babysitter because I did that a lot. I even took a babysitter class when I was in like did sixth you, or seventh grade. Really? Did you read the, the babysitter books? What is it? The, no. But there was a just, hospital in Cape Girardeau where you could go and they would teach you all of the things. How to choking, choking, and, and changing diapers, and all making bottles, and all the things you need to know. However, this woman's note, a mom left for her son's babysitter, is now going viral, and it's interesting. I guess it caught my attention because I remember my mom always saying, "We know it'd be nice if there's dishes. Go ahead and clean those up." Or straighten up the house a little bit. And I'm like, well, no! I'm not the one making these messes. But if my mom tells me to do something, 
at least back then, no, I certainly that's not did a good it. Job. Uh, so anyway, this is a science teacher here in Missouri, and she tried an experiment with her son's babysitter. The note, I'm leaving my babysitter tonight, she captioned. You are more than welcome to hang out, watch TV all night, but if you want to make some extra money, okay, these jobs are up for grabs. Now I'm listening. The $10 chores included organizing toys, scrubbing the silverware drawer, wiping down the glass mirrors. For 15 bucks, she could clean the refrigerator. When... The woman and her husband returned. Their three-year-old son's babysitter had completed nearly all the task. She was like, heck yeah. She was paying 10 bucks to wipe down the mirrors? I left all the supplies out for her so she didn't have to feel weird hunting around for the things. And the rates she offered her babysitter, who's a senior in high school, I guess are standard for where they live somewhere in rural Missouri. So she also noted that the three-year-old was sleeping when the babysitter arrived. Man, that was the best babysitter gig ever. She just had to sit there. Yeah, make sure the baby stayed alive. So at the end of this TikTok... Was vacuuming on the list? ...asked followers to comment on this idea. And, of course, people have their opinions. Somebody said this is great, especially... Um, you're saying pick and choose if you want to do it or not. Something two ten dollars is too cheap for some of these tasks. As a teenager who babysits, I think these prices are totally reasonable. There's a few that might be, need a little bit more. Somebody else said this is such a good idea as a babysitter. I was always cleaned the random things, but wasn't sure if they wanted me to. So having a list, so smart. Somebody else, 100% I would do this. I nannied for years as a teenager and would have loved this. It gives the option for extra money. So overall, most people are like, yeah, good idea. So when they got back from dinner, um, did they owe the babysitter like $350? She had it all (laughs) written out if you do these. scrubbing. So, And then they wrote her a check or cash. For those things, but I'm wondering what you guys think on the Woods Basement Systems text line, 84126, because I'm assuming at some point you had babysitters. Ten bucks to Windex the mirrors? Yeah. I'll come over and do it for seven. Well, you're going to do all of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. All right. That could, wait, that could take, what, 15 minutes tops? Well, it depends on how many mirrors you have in the house. Yeah. Not at my house. Three bathrooms. Two in uh, uh, one in the kitchen, one in the in the entryway. Boom. Okay. Fifteen minutes done. And Where's my seven bucks? That's the way you would see it. Yeah. What yeah. I, I'm curious, what uh, that one responder was thinking was too cheap for Maybe a job. Cleaning the list. refrigerator for fifteen bucks. That seems well, like how a are you lot. Gonna I ask a sixteen year old what to throw out and what not to throw out. You're not throwing it out. You're taking everything out and cleaning it out. And then putting it back in. Yeah. Yeah. You got to take the shelves out. Right. And and the the drawers and clean And I did it this morning, at least a couple of drawers, and that's a task. It's 20 minutes. No, no, no. No, no. not if you're doing it really clean. The way I do it. Well, that's (laughs) That's not really cleaning it, right? (laughs) You're just moving the crumbs from one side to the other. No, I'm I'm wiping them out onto the floor. Yeah. I think you need to do it. 
like tomorrow or this weekend and report back on how long it actually took you because it's not going to be 20 minutes. No. I don't think it takes that long. I just think that it's a pain to take everything out, wipe it down, and put everything back in. Well, it takes longer than 20 minutes. Okay. I I'll, promise. I'll Somebody said I read myself. the uh, article. Yeah. It's a fabulous idea. Many years ago when I was watching The Family with Three Children, they were always late getting home, and they gave me the option to do some extra things. I always did it for extra money. A couple other people, it's a brilliant idea, great idea. Somebody said, I clean out our fridge for free. Yes, don't we all? Uh, I don't care how long it takes as long as it's done properly. Um, I don't know. You know, speaking of done properly – if you're working out, it really does make a difference if you're doing the right thing. Like if you're just running through it and you're, you know, doing a curl and you're not holding the weight the right yeah. way. My, which... my problem is that when I would go to the gym, I wouldn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I'd spend most of my time scrolling through Facebook. Yeah. You're not really like, going to get the uh, most. Well, I've been here for an hour. I guess it's time to leave. Out of that. But at Club Fitness, they have personal trainers there that if you're new to it, They'll walk you through everything, and, I mean, you can train with them four days a week. You can train with them two days a week, one day a week, or, you know, just start off and then get the idea for what you're doing so you know, you know, the proper way to hold the weights. What's cool about club fitness is regardless of what you're looking for, if you're looking for that space to flip tires and the astroturf and, you know, really do curls and be, You'll find that at Club Fitness. If you're looking more and you kind of want a, a boutique, more of a, uh, a studio just for women, they've got the women's training studio. If you like to jump on your spin bike, they've got uh, the cycle studio. they got the burn zone. They have group classes, which more than 400 different classes each week that you can choose from. But then they also have ways that you can relax and recover the hydro lounge, the red light therapy. And the other thing that Club Fitness does, they're open 24 hours a day and they're 19 area locations. So chances are there is one either close to your house or close to work. And it's a a great place to start that fitness journey. The ultimate fitness experience, if you will. You can learn more at clubfitness.us. Jennifer. Yeah, it's plugged in. Jennifer Crumbly, uh, the mother of that Michigan school shooter, was found guilty of manslaughter. Royal Oaks, ABC News legal analyst in L.A., joins us with more. I mean, this is a groundbreaking trial really is. It isn't the first time a parent has been found criminally liable for something terrible that a child has done, but it is the first time in the United States that a parent has been found criminally liable for a school shooting committed by a child. And of course, you know, the facts were, were really stacked against this mother. The evidence was overwhelming that she was incredibly negligent uh, about making sure that she understood what her son was going through. And then, of course, the day of the shooting, uh, she was there in the office at the school she knew that uh, he had received a gun recently. She didn't tell the cops. Uh, she didn't tell the cops about the problems, mental problems that she knew he'd been having. And as a result, the jury did not take long to find her guilty of manslaughter. What kind of precedence does this set? Well, it, it, some people would say it's a dangerous precedent in the sense that, let's face it, 
you know, there's an old saying in the law, hard cases make bad law. This is a hard case in the sense that the effect were extreme against her. She looks really bad. But if people are going to take from this case the idea that, yeah, let, let's have all sorts of prosecutions of parents who are looking the other way, you have to acknowledge that most misdeeds by kids are completely unforeseeable. And so we wouldn't want a tsunami of criminal cases, uh, even though we do love the idea of sending a message to parents everywhere. You better make sure you know what your kids are up to, especially when guns are involved, or you will be in the Gray Bar Hotel. You'll be in prison along with the son. So there are certainly two sides to this coin. Royal, from your point of view, looking at this case versus others, what did this mom do differently that, you know, they decided to go after her? It was just the the volume of, of egregious evidence about giving a troubled young man a gun for Christmas, but they gave it to him a month early, uh, and then ignoring the requests by him that he needs therapy, uh, he, he needs help, and then concealing from the school what the parents knew. I mean, it was just a perfect storm of grounds for liability by a, a parent, and I think that's why this case broke through as really the first ever American case uh, of a parent being held liable for a kid's school shooting. And of course, next month, the dad goes on trial. Uh, and the betting, of course, is that the result will be the same. But you never know. I mean, this this uh, woman testified. She, in hindsight, probably made a big mistake by testifying, saying to the jury, she doesn't think she's a terrible parent and wouldn't do anything differently mm-hmm. if she had to do it over again. Excuse me? I mean, was this legal malpractice for her lawyer to let her get on the stand and say that? Did he know about it? Or was it just all on her? But this was just uh, tailor-made to send her to prison. And you watch some of this trial, and I know it's going to sound insane, Royal, but you start to kind of feel sorry for this kid. And you remember that he killed uh people he is a, a terrorist a school shooter uh so you're left in this weird limbo but uh two parents one kid uh both they, they were married right they lived in the same household i can't imagine that uh they would lay the blame at her feet just because she's the mom no it really was all the the different facts that just uh, went into the, the big picture but on your point about sympathy it's a good one especially since uh, this kid reached out to parents, reached out to uh, school officials, made it clear that he was you know, seeing ghosts, hearing voices, uh, that, that he was drawing pictures about violence and death and blood. So we certainly can blame him, and, and he has pled guilty, and he is going to spend the rest of his life without the possibility of parole in prison. But the, the facts are there that, that he was extremely troubled, experiencing mental health issues, reached out to a degree, and nobody seemed to help him. Yeah, and you've mentioned several times it's the first time in America, in the United States, that a parent has been sent to prison. Has this happened in other countries? Yeah, good question. I, I've never heard about it. It's very possible it has, but I, I kind of doubt that, that other countries' legal systems uh, would have gone that direction. Yeah. And there's a lot on your plate today, Royal, because the U.S. Court of Appeals rejects Trump immunity claim. What does this mean? Can you break that down in two minutes? Yeah, sure. This was the case that uh, it was an oral argument a few weeks ago. And Trump's argument was, look, presidents are immune from criminal prosecution uh, based on stuff they did while they were president. You can't wait till they leave 
and then put them on trial. That was his argument. It kind of fell apart during the oral argument when one of the judges said to a Trump lawyer, and I want to get this straight, if Donald Trump as president told SEAL team member, SIC number six member, go kill my political enemy, and he did, are you saying we couldn't criminally prosecute him? And the lawyer's answer was, that's right. You, you could only impeach him and convict him in the Senate. Well, forget about it. Nobody is buying that. And this three-judge panel unanimously said, no, uh, this is not a get-out-of-jail-free card just because you were president. Now, of course, the attention shifts to the U.S. Supreme Court, where Donald Trump inevitably will, will try to get that high court to overturn today's decision. All right. Royal Oaks, we appreciate your insight. You bet. Thanks. Because I'm the one that found him on the pictures and telling him exactly where to go. So on this date, 1971, February 6th, Alan Shepard smacked a couple of golf balls around on the moon. Wow. The company that aimed to create a national tourist destination in wine country here is selling more businesses. The Florida-based Hoffman family of companies has a little more than a dozen properties in and near Augusta now listed for sale, including the town's only gas station and an art gallery. The company had previously listed a few businesses for sale late last year. Now, the properties for sale do not include the wineries that they acquired. The Hoffman family companies until recently was led by Washington natives David and Jerry Hoffman. They announced in 2021 that they would spend up to $150 million purchasing existing wineries, planting new vineyards, constructing a hotel and convention center, building a golf course, opening a five-star restaurant, among other things, all aimed at making Augusta a rival to California's Napa Valley. Now, the company had purchased or renovated more than 50 buildings in Augusta. And I got to tell you, it was looking really good the last time I was there. They opened several new businesses. There were a couple of really cute shops. The riverboat excursion on the Missouri River, we did that, and it was fantastic. But last year, the company began selling off properties and listing businesses for sale. David Hoffman, the former CEO of the company, said at the time that his sons, who had taken over running the business, were selling off just a small portion of their holdings to refocus on the winemaking alone. But now they have the White House Cafe on Walnut Street for sale, the Hoffman Gas and Gator, the Livery on Jackson Street for sale, the Augusta Coffee Shop at Emporium on Walnut Street, and then the Gallery Augusta on Walnut Street. All with pretty hefty price tags, by the way. They also have listed Defiance Roadhouse, on Highway 94 and uh, Dutzow Deli in Marthasville. So I guess we'll wait and see. I'd love to talk to them and find out, like, is this the son's idea and they didn't have the same vision as their dad and so they're just kind of going to see what happens? Did they ever – I know at one point when I was out there, they had flags, and I don't mean like the flags on the green – flags out where they were going to try to put the golf course. I have no idea if they ever broke ground on that. I just, I feel like this is maybe what some residents were afraid of. Mm -hmm. And now here we are. Well, full disclosure, I've sent an email to see if they would come. Yeah, good. I mean, I, I want them to. But if that's the case, I don't think they'll take us up on our offer. Because it does kind of sound like that. Oh, you know, we had this idea. It was going to be the Napa of the Midwest. They still put a lot of money in this. They sure did. So to what's pull out now would be next. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what did I see the other day about Montel? 
Winery. That that's my favorite one out there. It is. Um, I like I, Defiance Ridge, which I think they it's don't got a great own. View. Uh, the Defiance Roadhouse. They mm-hmm. bought that too. Yeah. With those two bars, is, was that is that the one with the squirrels, the stuffed squirrels? Have you seen those? Yes, I have. I think <laughs> Defiance Ridge, like dead you, squirrels. Oh, you haven't oh, seen yeah. them? No, I don't. I don't think they're I've in poses. Seen them. One, uh-huh. one maybe is maybe holding a little guitar. Yeah. A little, yeah. Oh, okay. One's got a gun and he's sticking up another mm-hmm. one. I like, I like that. I like yeah, that. it's yeah. great. It is. Both of those are fantastic. I think the Roadhouse is on the other side, and they changed the name, but I could be wrong on that. Oh. Uh, it was Ken and Kathy's and Dave and Jackie or Terry and Jackie's or something. Yeah, yeah. those those bars are. Cool. I thought it was called Hoffman's now. Oh, it is? Mm -hmm. Mm Because they bought one of them, I know. Uh, All right. The Apple Vision Pro is released to the public now. Um, I'm not sure if you – did you realize that it was actually released? I thought it was just announced. No, I did. It's like three grand, You can go in and sell it or buy it. It's $3,500 right now to go in and buy it at the Apple store. Yeah, I can't buy it. take out a loan to to buy it. I'd like to try it. Can I try it on? Do you think they let you try it at the store? Yeah, I'm sure they do. I did uh, a VR at the Microsoft store when they had one of those. It was pretty cool. Oh. Felt, yeah. I was playing Minecraft and it felt like I was falling. Oh. Yeah. Like you didn't feel you didn't feel the ground beneath you? Yeah, and I was sitting down. It's it weird. Like, it is, my nephew cool. had one a long time ago and it was so weird. And then we were all trying it at Christmas and we all looked like fools, like on a roller coaster or doing something yeah. else. I've only had used it for like a five minute thing. Oh, this is fun. Break the mm-hmm. blocks with the with the wands or whatever. Uh I'd like to get my hands on one for like a couple hours. Let's well, see. Thirty five hundred, Josh. No. But no. the story <laughs> they're out now. People can go and buy them. People are posting videos to social media uh, in the internet uh, of them wearing these things while driving. Oh, no. Uh, driving awful. their cars because you're supposed to be able to see through it, I guess, in certain modes. You can see, you know, see what you're looking at. It's not. That is distracted it's not, driving. It's not blocked off. Well, that's what uh, Pete Buttigieg, right? Secretary of Transportation said. He said that this is distracted driving. Yeah. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to do this. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but people have been doing it and they've been doing it in regular cars they've been doing it in teslas which are supposed to have that self-drive that's just doesn't feature. make any sense uh so do you trust these people out on the roads no. with this 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 vr no. headset on? oh no no and and I've seen people and they're walking through the cities, walking uh, yeah. through the I've city. Seen, yeah, and they're still <laughs> they're all at, over the place and seem dangerous. You, yeah. See the one of the two guys both wearing these headsets having lunch together. No. <laughs> so we used to just all look <laughs> down at our other. phone, and now we're going to put these on and not talk at all. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. my face will be in the screen. Right, we'll be video calling each other. At that the could table. be. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get. Hey, look at this. Oh, or you could just take the helmet off. And look at the real thing. Well, I agree with you, Josh. I think they're a little silly. I I do like the memes of the people walking through the city with these <laughs> these things on. Uh, but it's like Facebook has one, you know. PlayStation has one. Uh, there's there's several of them out there now. Um, how do you know which one to buy? Can you pl- are you supposed to play games on it? I think that's supposed the to most, watch movies. I think that's the most common application. I mean, you can do. I think. You're in this virtual world. You can do anything in them. Except except drive. Right. Well, Well, yes. (laughs) Unless you're there and you want to drive a race car and you're doing it as a game. But I don't think. I want to use it 
so that it'll look like I'm, you know, listening to my wife as she's telling me about her day, but really I'm watching uh, the new Indiana Jones movie. Can't you already do yeah. that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, have it on the TV. Uh-huh. You don't. You already uh-huh. do this, right? Oh, that's terrible. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but she can see me looking around over her shoulder. Is she going to believe you when you have this huge thing on your head? Uh, <laughs> well, theoretically, <laughs> she'll be wearing one, too. Oh, right. Okay. We're all, and we're all wearing them. We're I all. don't think any of us can afford it. Remember Google Glass? Yeah. The glasses that the glasses. were supposed to be the thing? I don't know. Who's spending 3500 bucks on this thing? What does the, the Facebook one cost? Uh, I'm not sure. I think this is one of the more expensive ones. Mm-hmm. It's got to be the most expensive one. Well, I think it's also one of the more elaborate ones. True. Um, okay. Mark Thompson, who is CNN's chairman, he took over for, um, I think it was something light. And before that, it was Jeff Zucker. Mm-hmm. Um, he just announced this morning that the morning talk show that apparently CNN's been running since 2013 – is going away in favor of more hard, fast news stories. So the Morning Express. Um, this is because they already did away with that, didn't they? New Day was the show that they started, yeah, and I think Morning Express C- went away too. CNN this morning with Poppy Harlow yeah. and Phil Mattingly. I don't know who either one of those people are, but that's the thing. That's the point. Is why it's going away. Fox and Friends, which is a cable morning news show. million. Morning Joe even almost has a million viewers. And this CNN this morning only has 322,000 viewers. And that's a far cry. Not to mention the fact that you've got the Today Show, Good Morning America, Mm -hmm. and uh, CBS this morning. So what he had announced was more news, less banter. And I, for one... Applaud this. I love... There's a show on ABC in the mornings. um, And I don't even know what it's called. But uh, it's got all of our favorite correspondents that fill in. And it starts at like 4 o'clock in the morning. But they just... It's 30 minutes long. They just rerun it over and over again until Good Morning America starts. And it's bang, bang news. It's like what headline news used to be. I don't even think Headline News is a station anymore, is it? Mm-mm. Well, maybe. They do like murder shows now or something. But this is this is kind of what I miss about morning news because you turn it on. the t- You watch the Today Show every morning. Mm-hmm. I do too. And sometimes I, I, I have to say there's a lot of fluff on here, you know? There and- is. But my argument would be as soon as you change it. Guess what people complain about? Oh, there's not enough fluff. (laughs) You can say everything that you want, but there's a reason they're doing it. It's been because of all the people saying it's too serious and we don't want to wake up that way and we want to start our day feeling a little bit better. A consultant will come in and change it again in another five years. Oh, I hate that. I hope not. I, I, you know, there's, there's, I just mentioned six other places you can go for uh, a a morning. So will you start watching it? I think I will. I think I will. I already watched that uh, ABC show in the morning uh, with Andrew Dimbert and uh, Rhiannon and Alley. So I think I would watch this. When it gets off the ground, I think I'm going to go to it. I turn it on Good Morning America a lot because I think there's 
some less fluff maybe than than the Today Show. And not that fluff is a bad thing, but... Now, see, I would disagree. I would say if anybody has less fluff, it's probably CBS mornings. I watch that from time to time, and that seems uh, to be a little less fluff than the Today Show. But the, the Today Show, I got to imagine, has the most viewers, right? I haven't looked at it in a while. Right. At least in this market, because nobody watches ABC News because it doesn't have a local lead-in. So the Today Show is probably doing something right. But I kind of like the idea of there being an alternative. And maybe CNN is making the correct decision in that, look, if that's what you're looking for, a little lighthearted banter in the morning and, you know, this, that, and the you can go to those places. Mm-hmm. We're clearly not moving the needle anyway. So let's switch it up and do quick, fast news stories. And I, for one, am looking forward to it. Okay. Uh, somebody said on the text line, Woods Basement Systems text line, HLN, which is not it's not headline news anymore, yeah. shows forensic files. Yeah. I mean, I, mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with headline news. At the International Port of Houston, Ryan McMahon, a petty officer, second class, was conducting his routine inspection of more than 10,000 containers that fill the port at any given time when he and his colleagues detected a weird scratching sound. They were trying to determine where it was coming from, and they thought it was one of the 10,000 containers. Finally, they were able to pick out which container it was. It was 25 feet up the stacks. They had to use a crane to bring it down. Inside were a couple of junked cars and a small, what? very happy dog. <gasps> what he said was it. she just seemed happy more than anything to be out of the dark space and in the arms of people who were going to take care of her before taking her to forever change animal rescue in a Houston suburb, they decided to name her Connie. Coast Guard spokesman said that she was likely a junkyard resident and ran into one of the junked cars, perhaps out of fear, before it was loaded into the container, and then she was trapped. It would take at least another week to get to where she was going on this cargo ship. So that's two weeks without food oh my or water. She would have died. But she made it because... These two guys heard the scratching and decided to look into it. Now, of course, the perfect ending would be for one of these guys to adopt the dog, but they just said it it wasn't the right time for them. So she's at a shelter and apparently has already won everyone over with her fun attitude. She is receiving some treatment for heartworm and malnutrition, but... Soon, she will be ready for adoption. KTRS Sports with Martin Kilcoyne. Presented by Offenberg Hyundai and Triad Bank. Uh, We started the show with this idea. I think that this is a perfect Martin Kilcoyne question. We had one week, Martin, that you didn't get something like this. Oh, no. Back to the inane. Okay. Yeah. Best television show character of all time. My blank Sid Kramer. Mm. Uh, 
can't rule out Norm, although Kramer probably brought a little more to the table. Archie Bunker's in that list. I'm probably – this is just off the top of my head. What happened to the pre-show text? I know, I know. I just, I, I just wanted to hit you up, get you blink, your you first know, blink. Columbo's on my, Columbo's on my list, uh, but maybe not. Columbo. Oh, I like it. Let me ask you another question, ma'am. Right. There was just one more thing, and that's when you knew he had it. <laughs> yeah. uh, probably, probably not on the list. T.J. Hooker. Oh. Uh, Captain Steubing on my list, of course. You hated Captain Steubing. Sam Malone. No, on my list. Oh, Captain, on your yeah. list. On my, Captain okay. Steubing. Yeah, on my list would include Beretta, of course, childhood influence. Uh, Bill Cosby, unfortunately, would probably I, be in that. We said that list. earlier as well, and we had to say unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, it goes without saying. Um, I don't know. That's a pretty good start. Well, yeah, that's I, a good start. I mentioned Seinfeld, but uh, I obviously the easy answer is Kramer. I think George is actually the best character on that show. Yeah, that's it's hard to beat George. This is true. This is true. There's, I mean, like Jerry is kind of like the neutralizer, funny, but kind of like down the middle. And the other ones are just kind of off the tracks, weird or yeah. wacky. Jerry's mm-hmm. kind of the straight man. So. I would agree. Yeah. All right. Well, that's enough. Uh, we got. <laughs> All right, guys. Good to talk to you. There's nothing going on in sports. We'll see you next week. No. Yeah. Well, that's the... kind of how it's been for a little bit. Here. It really it's has, hasn't it? I was listening last night to your show, and you're like, "What did you do on Sunday?" Because there was not much to watch. Yeah, Brendan Weesey was texting me about live golf, and I said, "You're watching the CW11. I'm bringing Rich Gould out of retirement. This is unbelievable." <laughs> uh, they did have some compelling golf going on Sunday. You know, the football, the NFL, the Pro Bowl is just too hard to watch. It's not the real football that you're used to. We didn't even show highlights that night. We're kind of in a holding pattern for hockey. Blues are back this weekend. Basketball returns tomorrow night. Uh, There's been a little bit of news, though. The the Blues are going to play in the Winter Classic next year at Wrigley Field against the Blackhawks. That's pretty cool. Uh, It's not official from the team or the league, but the Sun-Times reported it. I've talked to people. It is going to become official but that's kind of a fun twist blues blackhawks at wrigley field blues have been in the winter classic twice including two years ago in minnesota they've won both times so let's chalk up a win over chicago next year martin how do they uh, the, choose who's in the winter classic it's the the league decides and i i did see some people in denver saying wait a minute we're starting to go back to cities and we haven't been to denver yet which does surprise because they're probably more than likely to have snow and have the right setting out there but uh, Wrigley hosted, I think, in 2009. Fenway had it this year. It was their second time. So they are starting to repeat, which means eventually, I guess, St. Louis could get it back. But I don't know. That's a league decision. It looked like the Bruins have played in it the most. It's a little hard. Like, if you're the Florida Panthers, you're probably not hosting the Winter Classic, but you could be the opponent. But they try to get, you know, a traditional rival or a division matchup. They've done that so far. So it's- that's kind of fun. The Battle Hawks. Schedules out. I know Josh is a season ticket holder or has been in the past. I am currently. Uh, and about I, that. Four, of those, four of those ten games are going to be right here on Fox. That's kind of fun. You don't have to pay to see it. You just turn on the old TV. Are we hosting the, the I'm calling it the Summer Bowl because it's going to be in late mid to late June is when the That's final bad. game is going to be. Is it official that we're hosting the Summer Bowl? That's, and there's another one that nobody has confirmed, but I yes, it's going to happen, but the league hasn't announced it. Something about The Rock and this group here, the UFL, they like to roll things out little by little. I guess they gave us the schedule. They just felt we couldn't handle any more news than that potentially. So 
The Dome hosting the championship game makes perfect sense. Last year was in San Antonio. Everybody's like, wait a minute, you got a city that just crushes it in terms of fan attendance. So it would be a lot of fun if the Battlehawks made that game this year, if they got to the playoffs and then made it to the championship. So that will be June 16th, I want to say. That's a Sunday. We've got a lot going on with the Battlehawks playing. The, the notable date is April 6th, the Battlehawks home opener at night. City Park has City SC playing a game match that night. The Cardinals play during the day. Whoa. The Blues happen, the Blues happen to be out of town on that particular Saturday. Otherwise, it would be more than we could handle. Yeah. So the Cardinals are packing up for spring training. That's right around the corner, which seems crazy. We're a week away from pitchers and catchers reporting. That's next Wednesday. Nothing says, I love you, honey, I'm going to work, like Valentine's Day for reporting day for pitchers <laughs> and catchers. Uh, that's when it all begins next week. Players will start showing up over the weekend, and then the actual work begins middle of next week. And then the countdown's on. The season begins in late March. That's kind of you know the Gosh, thing now because next month given the players they're giving the players more days off. They negotiated that, and there are a lot of Mondays where you're like, do they really have to play a Monday game? Just take a Monday off, and they're doing more of that, so they have to start earlier. So March 28th is the first game. That's going to be at L.A. Good contrast. You know the Dodgers are spending money like crazy, getting Otani. They just brought back Kershaw. Um, so you're going to have cards, Dodgers to kick off the season. Yeah, baseball will be in the May. We're going to have everything going at once, probably in about another month here. And then we'll have, you know, including preseason and exhibition stuff, it'll be happening in less than that. Kind of crazy. Super Bowl is on Sunday. Sometimes, since I'm rolling out the calendar here, hopefully everybody has a pen and paper. Yeah. <laughs> but we are we're exactly two weeks away from City SC playing their first match, February 20th. It's a Tuesday night, so exactly two weeks away for City SC. They'll be taking on Houston, and it's not an MLS game. It's this CONCACAF uh, tournament that they're in. Don't get confused. It's a home game, so it's kind of fun. Don't Aren't they supposed to be rolling out a new away jersey, and, and we're starting to play in two weeks, and they still haven't done that. Um, so maybe they're like the uh, UFL. They like to wait until the last minute. Slow release. People Slow are, roll. Okay, so now people are waiting for The Rock to show Dwayne Johnson. Apparently people that work for that football league can't call him The Rock. You have to call him Mr. Johnson or Dwayne Johnson. We can call him The Rock. Uh, everybody say, well, will he show up in St. Louis for a game with all the great attendance we've had last year, the home opener? He sent a video, and people are like, when are you coming? I wonder if he's going to hold out for that UFL championship game. Mm. Certainly he can make it to that. And then last night, I'm not up on all the professional wrestling like I probably should be, but WWE Raw was in town last night, and I guess The Rock, I don't know if they put up a video, he was booed when referenced or videoed on the Jumbo Chats. It has to do, they're not mad about the Battlehawks. It has to do with his wrestling character again i'm a little behind on the plot lines here but apparently, <laughs> keyword plot lines he booed in abstentia last night wow who do you have coming up tonight joe buck is the guest tonight he just wrapped up his second season on monday night football with espn we talk about that but also tom brady what kind of broadcaster should we expect how hard is that going to be for brady just to hop in the booth at fox next year um and a little bit joe made some comments that i thought were interesting he had a podcast for a couple of years, and they'd have Charles Barkley on and all these different folks. But he said, I can't really be myself 
yet because of these you know, network jobs, Fox, ESPN. And we kind of got into that premise where if you really kind of just want to tell funny jokes or be yourself, there's too many gotcha moments now where you just mm-hmm. can't do it. Uh, and I don't know what else. We talked about a million things. I can't remember them all, so just listen. All right. Well, do we necessarily want Joe Buck to be himself on? Yeah. You know? Yes. Well, but I'm saying I think you want everybody to, like, if you ask a question, what do you think about the game tonight? Well, we'll give it our best. You'd love for the coach to say, I don't know. These jokers haven't been practicing very hard. This kind of worried. Like, you would love for people to keep it real and have a little bit of fun. And Cause, Well, there's that yeah. guy on ESPN now who only wears uh, tank tops when he broadcasts, and he's a little bit too much of himself, frankly, if you ask me. Yeah, I think you're talking about uh, Pat. The, uh, the punter Pat, who's best friends with yeah, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and they pay Aaron Rodgers a million dollars to come on and say weird stuff. And, yeah. Yeah, I some of it. Now, okay, I would make a distinction. I would say be yourself. But if yourself is like a bro show that I'm probably not interested <laughs> and that one to me, it's wildly popular and I'm getting too old, I guess, but that one feels real bro to me. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why uh, there's so many channels and so many podcasts yeah. and there's something for everybody. Joe Rogan just got paid $300 million from Spotify to keep doing what he's doing. Martin, before you go Super Bowls on Sunday, who do you got? I got the Chiefs. I can't pick against them. I cannot believe, and I know it's a slim margin. I can't believe they're underdogs. I can't I mean, either. Has anybody been paying attention to this team for the last five years? They're they're really good. This year they struggled a little bit. They had to go on the road to Buffalo. They had to go on the road to Baltimore. They were underdogs at Baltimore. I'm like, the Ravens are going to choke. We all know it. Uh, I'd be surprised if the Chiefs don't win. Hopefully we get a good game. Last time these two met, it was a crazy comeback for Kansas City, and I brought this up a couple of times. We always talk about the Cowboys drought, right? Jerry just wants one more Super Bowl, and it's been 30 years. The 49ers haven't won since the 1994 season. That's the last time they won a Super Bowl, and they're, you know, a a marquee franchise. I feel like that doesn't get brought up enough. No. That's kind of crazy. All right, Martin. Think about it. Yeah, something to think about. I'm thinking. Your favorite – TV characters. Yeah, text me. Michael yep. Michael Conrad, Hill Street Blues. Add it to the list. Oh, okay. Ooh, I like it. Great, great theme song, Hill Street Blues. Mm, oh, yeah. Daniel J. Travante, I believe, was the main star. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I, I love the knowledge that's in your head. Thanks, Martin. All right, see you guys. All right, let's wrap this show up with a couple randoms. Spandex got its name because it's an anagram of expands. Oh. It just kind of rearranged the letters to spell out spandex. But really, it contracts. Well, there's that too. But I'm sure if you... It stretches, right? Yeah. It can stretches, but it. I'm just saying... If you put something the in there... Is it Right. Tightens it, back up around you. It really you. does. Uh-huh. It really does. Michigan is 96,000 or 96,000 square miles. 41% of it is water, which wow. is the most of any state. New Mexico is only 0.2% water, which is the least of any state. Hmm. The 710 split is statistically only the third hardest shot in bowling. The hardest is called the Greek church, and it's when there are five pins. Two back left, three back right. That's the hardest shot. The Greek church. The Greek church. 
Connor. I have hit a 7-10 split. We'll tell everyone he, walk, he yes. comes in contact Whenever I with. I hit the lanes, I, I tell people this before I shoot, I roll like a 100. <laughs> I mean, have I, have I not ever hit a 7-10? Is it really that hard? I yeah. Mean, just by accident, I think nah, you'll get well, it every well, once I in don't, a while. I mean, if you do it on purpose, you're really good. 7-10 split. You can get a spare 0.7% of the time, so less than 1% of your rolls. Mm-hmm. You're actually going to hit it. And the Glow Sticks debuted in 1971, New Haven, Connecticut, at a Grateful Dead concert. Well, that only makes sense, doesn't it? That does it for us. Thanks for hanging out with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Hopefully, you'll come back tomorrow starting at 3 o'clock. And until then, see if you can put a smile on somebody's face.